this is uh, the days in creation, but it, it takes uh, about a half a dozen slides to sneak up on the days of creation and need to get some things going first. But, oh, first I wanted to <laughs> thank uh, Todd, Pastor Todd for uh, introduce, the introduction and for setting things up so it all fit together. And uh, um, also Nate Cloud for kind of babysitting this whole thing to bring it to this point. Uh, most of all, the Lord, because I think he's giving us, some, for me at least, some incredibly exciting things. It's kind of like, for me, it's been kind of an explosion of ideas. And you can follow, like, you know, on the 4th of July, you see a burst and you can go off in different radial directions from it and go off in many different directions from what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, and uh, I'm just going to aim at the days of creation and science and faith and Jesus, Jesus especially. <laughs> okay, so here's the... Now, I don't know if you can... I hope you can uh, see this, but I'll, I'll try to help out. We'll need two principles uh, that will be uh, helpful, and you may know them. One is the principle of first mention. Th- that means if, if there's an important word, I don't mean like the, but an important word in the Bible, and you want to know what the Lord wants us to know uh, about that word, his understanding, his meaning, go to his first mention and pay attention, and it'll get explained. So it's like the Bible is, is its own... Uh, Dictionary, but it's the same when you write any book. You have a chemistry book. You have a new term. You you define it. So it's not. It's not. Maybe that's where they got it from. But anyhow, that's the idea. First mentioned. An example would be love. You might think that love is going to show up uh, between Adam and Eve, or Abraham and Sarah. No, it doesn't get mentioned. You never find out that they love each other. They. I'm sure they did. But uh, the first mention is when God tells Abraham. He says, now take your, your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, love, that's it, uh, and slay him for me. <laughs> so, of course, uh, uh, what that, uh, and, uh, and he didn't get slain because the Lord provided. But what that points us to is what God means by love, namely when on the same mountain, Mount Maria, he would, offer, he would offer his own son, and he wouldn't uh, give us a ram in place of Yeshua, Jesus. Uh, so that gives us uh, the, the deepest, complete meaning of, of the word love. Uh, okay, two or more witnesses. Deuteronomy 19.15. If you want to uh, establish a matter... Bring two or more witnesses. They could now. They could be people. They could be words. They could be different different things. But witnesses of some sort. Uh, all right. So let's get started looking at at Genesis one one. And uh, first, if you look at an old movie, an old black and white movie, you know the first thing is the title, and then you see. Uh, I say old movies because they they do it differently now. Uh, the first thing you see is the is for instance, whoops, uh, Cary Grant, Doris Day, uh, James Mason. So you say to yourself, okay, there are many people in the movie, but those are going to be the stars, right? So now we begin to look at, at uh, Genesis, and we see the first in the first uh, verse, 
we meet God. In the beginning, God, okay, created the heavens and the earth. The earth was void of... Uh, and then in the second scripture, we see the spirit of God. So I'm thinking, well, he's doing this just like Hollywood. And so I'm expecting Jesus to be the third. Well, what we find is the light. God said, let there be light. Uh, he, did, uh, he, didn't, he didn't use the word creation for light because the light's going to be Jesus and Jesus wasn't created here. He always existed. So other things are going to get created, but he was just brought forth. All right, so, uh, so that's the question. Who, who is the light? I claim it's, it's Jesus, but let's take a look at that. And, and, and in that case, then we'll see this as just like a movie, and these are the, going to be the three stars of the Bible. All right? So, uh, now, so that's my claim, and I'll just look at a few scriptures. I mean, there are many. Here's just a few. John, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Duh. <laughs> I can stop right there. Uh, jo- uh, John said, God is light. Uh, in Revelation, the New Jerusalem had no need for the sun or the moon because the Lamb, Jesus, is its light. All right? Uh, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Uh, God calls the light good. Now, watch, watch here. Uh, see, that's a first mention of the word good. See, this is really a handy uh, idea, this first mention. The first mention of the word good. Now, Jesus said, uh, who is good but, but God? No one is good but God. Okay? So the idea of, of the light being Jesus and the light being good and the only thing being good being God, you know. So, again, these are establishing, I think, pretty clearly, but you can find more if you like, that the light is Jesus. Okay? So that's a conclusion. Uh, I say, like, this is some math now. Four times two plus four times six, four times seven. You can factor out the four. That's four times two plus six plus seven. So, likewise, I can say, I believe this, I believe that, I believe... I'm going to factor out I believe in front of the whole talk. Everything I say, I believe. All right? That'll save a lot of time. So, uh, so that's the first idea, that the light is, uh, is Jesus... And uh, I'm sorry, this is going to be hard for, for you back there. Uh, now, uh, here's a, a really cool scripture, Romans 120. Uh, and I shouldn't have a quote here because this isn't the quote. But what it says essentially is that his, God's invisible attributes are uh, understood by the things that are made. Okay, invisible attributes, I would say those are spiritual attributes. So we understand the spiritual by the things that are physical. See, in other words, God gives us stepladder, a stepladder. We can stand on the physical, because that's all we know about. We live in the world, so all we have experience of is the physical. We stand on that stepladder, and we can peek into the spiritual, right? That's how he, how he does it for us. So I say, here's a plan, uh, if we know now that the light in, in a spiritual sense, not physical sense, but in a spiritual sense, the light is Jesus. They say, okay, let's take a look at physical light. Let it be a stepladder. We'll stand on that light, uh, stepladder and maybe we can learn some interesting things about Jesus. All right? 
So uh, now, I mean, I know we're not all physicists, and I'm not either, but uh, if you look at the history of physics and science, you find that light and and, uh, electrodynamics, all of that came on in the 19th century. And James Clerk Maxwell pulled it all together in 1865 with a group of equations uh, called Maxwell's Equations, (laughs) and... Uh, that describe electromagnetic waves. And it turned out that light is an electromagnetic wave. They didn't know that before. So that was like three steps forward, but it was one step backward. It was a step backward because out of, out of that came a tremendous deep confusion in the world of physics, the one that didn't get straightened out until 40 years later by, uh, by a clerk in a patent office in Switzerland named Einstein. He was a clerk in the patent office at the time uh, and, and through his uh, special relativity. Now, we don't need to get into that, but I'll tell you, it, the bottom line is very easy. Here's the idea. Uh, roughly, all of science and physics and everything, it's all based on the idea that space and time are absolute quantities. See, if you're driving from here on your car your watch is reading identically the same as my watch standing still right here. Time is time, right? Your idea of a foot-long hot dog driving away in your car is the same as my idea of a foot-long hot dog. Space and time are the same, right? What's relative is velocities. See, if I'm standing on the back of a pickup truck and we're and I throw you a football, if the truck is moving away from you, the football is going to come kind of limp, not as fast, right? And if it's backing up toward you and I throw you the same speed, uh, you know, as fast as I can, then it's going to come to you faster, okay? So you see, the velocity has to do with the relative motion of the source and the observer. Well, the problem that showed up in physics now was that was that uh, light didn't work that way. In all the physics, light is peculiar. Absolutely peculiar. Uh, Because what they found is that if this is a uh, a light source and this is you, you, the observer, you measure the speed of light approaching you from that light bulb and you find out by experiments, you find out that the speed is the same, whether the light bulb is moving toward you or whether it's moving away from you, doesn't matter what the light is doing, its speed is an absolute constant, tremendous speed. Okay, now, uh, so, uh, but, I, but, but Maxwell's equations said otherwise. Maxwell's equations said it should be relative. Everything should work the same in the world, but light wasn't working that way. Now, the way out of it was uh, through Einstein's special relativity. What he discovered finally was that in order to make light, to freeze it and have an absolute uh, constant speed no matter what you're doing, the only way to do that is to free up space and time and let them become relative. So truly... If you're driving away in your car, your watch is reading something different than mine. Now, the difference is so small at these velocities, 
unless you can drive close to the speed of light, that you're not going to notice it, okay? But really, uh, time becomes different, and space becomes different uh, in order to have light have an absolute frozen velocity. See, he just, special relativity turned physics upside down. It just did the inversion, you know. Uh, so, now, uh, the upshot, see, that's in the physical. Oh, and, and so what Einstein said then was that uh, uh, all of physics, every, equa- every, every equation governing different physical phenomena has to abide by that absolute constant speed of light. Now, that's a mathematical story that we don't need to get into. Uh, all of these equations had to be checked and rechecked to make sure everything was okay. And they didn't all pass. You know. But uh, so what he said was that everything in physics and science has to abide by the constant speed of light. And uh, now there, the rela- there's a relationship between space and time for you driving away in your car and me standing here. Those are called the Lorentz equations. And we don't, I mention them because they're so beautiful that they are trivial equations. They are equations like this. The age of Jack is twice the age of Mary minus three times the age of Steve. That's what you learn in third grade. Okay? Those are the Lorentz equations. You know, not quite identical to that, but that's, that's mathematically, that's what they're like. So the, the beautiful thing is that what was so deeply complex, they confounded the world of science for at least those 40 years, uh, got explained by something so simple, so trivial, and that's the hand of God. You know, it's the signature of the Lord. Okay, so, uh, so now this is the physical See, the physical, this is what we know now about light, absolute velocity. What does that have to do now with the spiritual? Let's stand on that stepladder. What about the spiritual? Well, the absoluteness of the speed of light corresponds to the absoluteness of Jesus' word. His word is not relative. It's not the truth for you and the truth for me, as people like to think. There's an absolute truth, and it's just like the speed of light, and Jesus is the light. Okay? Uh, now, another thing, that, and this is going to be a shocker, is that when, in verse 1112, God created the uh, heavens and the earth, there was no science. Science didn't exist. And I'll show you why. Because, you see, uh, it wasn't until uh, uh, light got introduced in verse 3 that then God could introduce science because science had to be consistent, according to Einstein, had to be consistent with light. Light wasn't introduced until verse 3. Okay? So uh, it had to wait, and and that's why it says in verse uh, 1, the earth was void and without form. That's what it means, void and without form. There was no science. Science is not without form. There is no form bigger than science. Any, anybody who you know, studies science in any way or... or uh, so, uh, now, not only that, 
uh, science did not exist, uh, and so time could not begin because you can't. You might think all I need for time is to make clocks. I need mass and space. No, you need science, and science doesn't come along until verse three. Because if you take a pendulum clock, what governs? So you need the regularity that's introduced by science in order to have the regularity that we can count that time with. See, a pendulum clock depends on the law of gravity and on Newton's uh, second law of motion. Put them together, that's science, and you, can, and you can make a clock, you know? So, now you see, that's really wonderful, I think. And, and I'm using science. We're using new, uh, Einstein's relativity to show that science using science to show that science isn't such a big deal. Didn't come along until Jesus. Uh, now, okay, so now, immediately, when the light is introduced in verse 3, now you can start, now all the physics gets put in place by the Lord, and now you can, you can start counting time. So he says, immediately, well, verse 4, he says, uh, uh, God said the light was good. But in verse 5, the next thing that happens, uh, it says, okay, that's day one. See, now you can start counting time because physics is now in place and you can start uh, counting time. Okay? So, uh, again, that, it's, it's the usual idea, it seems to be that people have made science into God and they, they think that science came from everlasting. It always existed, and so if a god did create a universe, then he would have to abide by the laws of physics. Because, I mean, they're just always there. See, that's turning over and making science into God. Science is not God. Science is part of the creation. It's just like a mountain, and just like my finger, and and my pointer. Uh, so, uh, Okay, so that's uh, a, a, a conclusion. Now, these two things, science was, we know that, so you see, all of science now was created in his image because it's, uh, I'm sorry, all of the universe was created in the image of Jesus. The whole universe, everything. Why? Because it's all governed by science and that's Jesus' DNA. His DNA is imprinted on all of the creation. Everything. All right? So, okay, so that's one thing. Science is not just us created in his image. Everything is created in his image uh, in such a way as to be consistent with the absoluteness of the speed of light. Okay, now also, we know that the creator was Jesus. And I'll, let's see, First Corinthians, Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things are, John, all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. Jesus was the point man, the contractor. He was the, the general contractor. The house was his. Everything was all about him. He designed it. Okay, so the, the, the conclusion then is that not only did he create us in his image, he created everything in his image. The whole universe is, his in, is in his image. So, you see, we can't miss Jesus. All you have to do is 
open your eyes. You don't even have to open your eyes. <laughs> you can't possibly miss him. Uh, think of it like this. He, he surrounds us with himself, with Jesus, as a wedding band surrounds the finger. It's, a, it's more than my analogy. It's Psalm 125. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time and forevermore. So, uh, okay, so now we're getting an idea that Jesus is everywhere. And, you know, sometimes people say, hey, let's try to find Jesus in the, in the Old Testament. Really, it's Older Testament. Old sounds like we've thrown it away. But uh, uh, it's the Tanakh. It is the Hebrew name of the, of the Old Testament. I, I call it the Tanakh. So uh, you might say, well, where's Jesus in the Old Testament? All right? Uh, Let's see, we know there are a lot of messianic prophecies. And we know now he's also in verse 1-3, he's the light. And also uh, the angel of the Lord, not an angel of the Lord, but there are a number of places where the angel of the Lord, that's Jesus. So we can find him in a number of places. Uh, but let, I'm going to look at something that's really spectacular, I think. There's a transition that jumps out. When you're reading Genesis from 1 1 to 2 3, 31 verses, and 31 times you see God, God this, God that. Oh, before I forget, why does. No, I'll do it later. Why does. <laughs> why. Uh, so Elo, Elohim is is the Hebrew of, of God that's showing up 31 times in 31 verses. El is God, and the I am, im, ending, makes it plural. So it's a plural Godhead, it's a triune Godhead. That's Elohim. But anyhow, 31 times, 31 verses, then all of a sudden in verse 2-4, we read Lord God, Yahweh Elohim. And from then on, it's Yahweh Elohim. You say, wait a minute, something happened. <laughs> Who is that? <laughs> I know who God is. Who, who is this guy? New, new kid on the block. Yahweh Elohim. So that's a real important question. Let's say, okay, let's, uh, there's just a few scriptures here that will show us. Uh, I'll start at, in the end and work backwards. John says, no one has seen God at any time. No one saw God at any time. Whatever God means <laughs> right there. Now back up to Exodus. We're on Mount Sinai. And we've got 74 representatives of Israel, uh, Moses and Aaron, Aaron's two sons, and 70 elders of Israel, all sitting on top of Mount Sinai. And what are they doing? They're seeing God. That's what it says. It says they saw God. Now, if, if, if we hear, see here that no one uh, has seen God at any time, and the one on top of Mount Sinai, they, it says that they saw him. Now, if you look in the in a footnote of the Bible, it might say, oh, they must have seen his footstool. It doesn't say that they saw his footstool. It says they saw God. They saw God. So who is, who is that? Who is that God? Well, we've seen Jesus, of course, 
on earth. So Jesus, you can see, no problem there. So the one they saw on Mount Sinai was Jesus. So that's Jesus on top of Mount Sinai. And now if we back up a little bit from Mount Sinai to verse, uh, chapter 6 in Exodus, God speaking to Moses, and he says, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. By my name, Lord, Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, I was not yet known to them. So, you see, uh, the one on Mount Sinai is Jesus, and he was not yet known to them as Lord God, but that's who he is. He's Lord God. So if you go all the way back to verse 2-4, the Lord God, and from then on, it's Jesus. See, so it's not really very hard to find Jesus in, in the Tanakh. If you look up Lord God in the Tanakh, you find it 525 times. That's 525 appearances of Jesus. It's all Jesus. See, the Jewish people, we pray in synagogue to the Lord God, Lord God, Lord God, Lord God. And the one, the, the Jewish people only need one little thing. They need, they need to know that the Lord God that we pray to in synagogue is also Jesus. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like, and, and, and then everything's going to click, and it's going to be a very big click <laughs> when that happens. So, uh, okay, so uh, all the way back to the garden, and the one that, that the children are interacting with, that's Jesus. Uh, see, uh, you see, I think we are in the Gospels so much that we tend to think Jesus is between the first scripture in Matthew and the last scripture in John. That's Jesus. No, that's Jesus on this mission trip. So you're getting to see a lot about him. But Jesus is much bigger than that. Much bigger. There's, there's no, and, and, uh, and in fact, in, in Revelation, you don't find the name Jesus of, Ma- of Nazareth. You find Jesus, but not Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth is, is a slice of a very, very much bigger uh, concept of, of God. And also, people say, let's see, Jesus uh, told the... Uh, didn't, he didn't judge the woman caught in adultery, so we should be okay, I'm okay. He's a howsoever God. Yeah, but it's the same Jesus. The 525 Jesus in the, in the Tanakh, it's all the same. It's the, he's the one who shut the door on everybody clamoring to get into the ark. He's the one who brought the flood. He's the one who's going to do the bold judgments. It's all Jesus. Jesus said, I kill and I make alive. Okay? This is not a house however God. Okay, so... Uh, now, you see, remember that transition at 2-4 in Genesis? You find it elsewhere. It's, it's really important, I think. So I find it in, in John. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, all things were made through him. And then the Word became flesh. See, that's Elohim, and then the Word became flesh, that's Yeshua, Jesus. Okay, you see that transition in here, that same transition. You're starting out with Elohim, and boom, now you've got Jesus, okay, in that scripture. But 
so that's like an obvious one. But here's one that has been flying below the radar forever, I guess. Uh, Proverbs 8, 22 to 36, that stretch. Solomon thinks he's talking about wisdom. It's all about wisdom. And the first, in the first person, the one speaking is wisdom. I, this, I, that, that's wisdom, okay? But look at what it says. Now, start, th- start seeing it in terms of, of the creation and Elohim and Jesus. The God, uh, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way. The Lord, in this case, I, you have to understand as Elohim, possessed me, that's Yeshua, Jesus. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way. Before his works of old, see how it all fits together. It's going to be so perfect. Before his works of old, from everlasting, before there was ever an earth, he was always there, Jesus. Uh, when there was no depth, I was brought forth. See, he, he was brought forth. Yeah, in verse 1 3, as the light. Uh, when there were no mountains yet abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, well, before all of physics and all of the science kicked in, uh, before. Uh, I was brought forth. And again, you see these repeated, see, I was brought forth, I was brought forth. You see these multiple witnesses, by the way. He's serious about that he was brought forth. Okay, and and then it says, uh, rejoicing in his inhabited world. See, the focus here is always on God, in his inhabited world. From here to here, 31 to 32, watch the shift. And my delight I, my Jesus, my delight was with the sons of men. The first time I read that, I called my wife, who was working in a different building. I said, come over, I want to read this to you. <laughs> I mean, you know, tears are coming to... I mean, you know, the point of, the, of everything is the sons of men. That's us. It's hard to believe that we're worth it, <laughs> from God's point of view. My delight was with the sons of men. Now, listen to, to Jesus here. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. See, he's taking over now. My children, blessed are those who keep my ways, for whoever finds me finds life. Okay, that's Jesus. So that's 30, uh, 22 36. Now, I say, well, wait a minute. Whoever finds me finds life. Think about that. Jesus is the suitor. He's gonna ha- he's, we're part of the, the bride. Uh, he's the suitor and he finds us, doesn't he? Isn't that what suitors do? They go find the bride? So why is he saying, whoever finds me? Really big point, I think, for me. <laughs> say, uh, so I say, well, let's look at Jer- uh, Jeremiah. Yeremiahu, <laughs> the Hebrew. Jeremiah twenty-nine thirteen. You will seek me and find me when you search with all your heart. Again, why do we need to search for him? I thought he was going to search for us. Now, who is it who says, I'm here in the closet hiding. Come and find me. It's the wife, right? Isn't that what your wife does? She says, I'm in the closet. Come and find me. I know Yisrael does that. (laughs) So, you see, we know that, that he made us in his image, male and female, he made us. Male and, so the Lord is complete. He's male and female. 
But I think you don't get to see his femaleness as clearly as you get to see it here. Seek me and find me. See, that's, it explains so much about God. You find that this is not part of this teaching, but God has hidden so much. He expects us to seek him and find him, not to prove his existence and to prove who he is. He doesn't want to be proved like a mathematical equation. He wants us to seek him and find him out of love. Okay? So, uh, that finally brings us to the day, day of creation, which is the title here. Uh, I claim that the days are literal 24-hour days. So I'll give some witnesses for that and then some objections. First mention of the word day is uh, right here, one day. Okay, that's the first mention of the word day. So take a look. God is going to explain what he means by a day. He's going to define it. How does he define it? Well, we have these... Uh, uh, let's see, we have light and dark cycle, we have day and night cycle, and we have evening and morning cycle. Three witnesses that he's talking about a 24-hour day. This is really serious. Okay, so that's that's one witness first. Now, uh, uh, notice that uh, if you go down to verse 14 to 18, that's when, when God creates the sun and, and the moon and the lights in the heaven and so on. Uh, and what, what he says about them is that uh, they are to define days and seasons and years. When he introduces the, the sun and moon, days and seasons and years. Now, if God meant an eon when he says a day here, and now down here he's talking about literal days as we know them, then would that not be exceedingly confusing? And God is not a God of confusion. He would not confuse us like that. He is serious here. This is a day. He's talking a literal day, and we better get in line with it. So... uh, also, from a, a, a bigger point of view, if you just, just read the, the creation account, it doesn't read like, like uh, randomness and chaos. It reads like a laboratory notebook of the creator. It's very precise. And days are the beginning of that precision. So, uh, now, so here are some objections. How could you have night and day and light and dark when the earth and sun haven't been created yet? Well, God can do whatever he likes. He doesn't need the sun to make light, this kind of light. He doesn't need the sun. This is not the sun. <laughs> don't, don't we read that Paul was blinded by a light which was brighter than the sun? It wasn't the sun. Where did that light come from? Well, that was Jesus, right? We know that. Jesus is the light. He can make light. He can make it light and then he can take it away and make it dark. You know, light and dark cycles, that's no problem for him. Also, when God defeated uh, 
the, the, the Egyptian god of, of, of the sun in Exodus, at, at, when he brought the children out of, out of Egypt, it says that uh, uh, they had the ninth plague of darkness. It says the Egyptians did not see one another. They couldn't see. It was pitch black. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Now you might say, oh, they had lamps. But if they had lamps, the Egyptians would have had lamps, and then they would be able to see each other. But they couldn't see each other. See, the light in, in the Israelis' uh, dwellings was Jesus. He lit up their dwellings. Just like the light that, that blinded Paul. So, okay, now how could you have a day without uh, a rotating earth going around the sun? You know, how could you do that? Well, look, you have math again. Math is so great. It's from the Lord. Distance is velocity times time. So time is distance divided by velocity. All you need is, all God needed was to know about distance. Well, he could measure things. And velocity. Well, in his Bureau, National Bureau of Standards, his, his uh, definition of, of, of speed was the speed of light. That was an absolute. That's his, his standard. See? So he knew about distance and speed. See, when we take a trip, 120 miles, 60 miles an hour, how long is it going to take? 120 with 60, two hours. God can ca- begin counting time without having a rotating earth. Okay, another one. Peter says, uh, with the, the, the Lord, a day is as a thousand years. The key word is as. It doesn't say a day is a thousand years. It says, at is, is, might as well be. It's like a thousand years. And who cares? The Lord doesn't live in time. See, time is part of the triune creation. It didn't, it, there was no time before. God lives outside of time, just like the potter doesn't live inside the clay. Right? Uh, so, and the same thing in, in Psalm, a uh, thousand years on your side are like yesterday when it was past, and like a watch, see, like, like, like. Uh, so, uh, and now I have a couple, of, hmm, a couple of additional little things. See, if you do understand those days as eons, are we going to be okay with the fact that the that the sun and, and all don't get created until the fourth eon? The fourth eon? Okay. So I say, okay, I can handle that. I'm a, not a believer or I'm a weak believer. I, don't, I can handle that. Uh, I, I just say, look, it's figurative. Everything there is figurative. Okay, if that's figurative, then so is our salvation figurative. Romans 10, 9, 10. Do we not cling to that? That God meant what he said. Well, he also meant what he said when he said a day. Let's cling to that. Let's see what God... I See, I think it's... God gives us a test, just like he gave Abraham a test. It's, I call it his Isaac test for us. Uh, he tested Abraham with a very hard test. He tests us with an easy test. All we need to do is believe his words. Uh, let's see what he says about it. Don't believe me. <laughs> Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, day is one of his words, of him, the Son of Man will also be ashamed. I don't want him to be ashamed of me. Now, here's, here's a lot of beautiful things here. 
what about the seventh day? What was that all about? Anyhow, it's, it's not uh, the part of the creation, but it's spectacular. And I think it, uh, we say, oh, it's a day of rest. He gave us this day of rest, you know, and God rested. He was tired. I didn't make any sense. Why would God be, get tired? It didn't make any sense. So I say, let's look. The one, Genesis one thirty one. Then God saw everything He had made, everything He had made, and indeed it was very good. That's the end of the sec, sixth day. That's dinner time on day six. God says everything He's made, it's all done. It's all very good. Now Genesis two two. He says, and on the seventh day God ended His work which He had done, and He rested. We tend to look at the word rested, but look at the word on. On that day, he ended his work. So he was doing some work on that day. On that day, he ended his work. Okay? So, what was that all about? Uh, What kind of work was that? Jesus said, Until now, my father and I have been working. They have been working. Okay? Okay? That's the, there was work to be done. When did that work end? It is finished. That's when it ended. So it's so spectacular that here in Genesis, he's giving us a look into Calvary. That's when his work would end. Now, see, what did he do with the seventh day? He blessed it and sanctified it. Now, why in the world would you sanctify a day of rest? I mean, you just say thanks, you know, and you sleep in. What's so special about a day of rest? It's not just any day of rest. You see, what happened on Calvary, this is a different, a different talk, but what happened on, uh, at Calvary was it was... Uh, Jesus' death, his blood was the sealing of a new covenant, which I hope you're all part of. It's a marriage covenant. It was a be- what that what occurred there that Thursday night with the disciples was was a betrothal. Their part of the blood was the wine. His part of the blood was for real. Okay, that's what sealed the covenant. It was a betrothal. So what happens in that seventh day? It was a betrothal. It's his wedding day. It's his anniversary. That's why he he blessed it and sanctified it. He made it a commandment. He said, observe the, the seventh day, Shabbat. It's a very special day. Now, it's gotten lost, you know, in, in the hundreds and hundreds of years, but... Uh, but that's my understanding of it. And uh, um, okay, so let me just back up and, and do a little bit more about the natural physical, stand on a step ladder and look at the, phys- at the spiritual. We've, we've done light. Light leads us in the spiritual to Jesus, okay? Just look at a couple of other things, just to, see, just to give an idea of the magnitude of this. The whole universe is a mass space-time triunity, and they're indivisible. See, if you delete with your little 
clicker on your, on your PC, you delete all of the mass. What goes with it is space. If you have no, no mass, you don't have, space makes no sense, and you can't have any clocks. Time makes no sense. So they all disappear with it. See, you, they're inseparable. Mass, space, and time are inseparable, just like the triune Godhead. But even mass, space, and time individually are triune, to emphasize the point, mass is solid liquid gas, space is three dimensions, time is past, present, future. Now, uh, here's another one. In physics, there's a famous wave-particle duality, and uh, uh, goes like this. There are two, uh, in physics, two different, very different viewpoints of, of light. One understanding is that According to Maxwell, it's waves, like, wave, like water waves on, on the ocean, a wave phenomenon, except light waves. You can't see the waves themselves. Uh, okay, but that's a wave theory. And then there's a different theory due to uh, Newton and others, the so-called particle theory, where Newton thought of, of light as consisting of little tiny particles of energy, like little ping-pong balls like that get shot, you know, and they bounce off things just like light bounces off things is reflected. So that's the part of the wave point of view, the particle point of view. And so the physicist is saying, well, which is it? I like this. Somebody else said, no, I like that. Two different points of view. So there was a big discussion of it in physics, just as in the spiritual, was Jesus' spirit, God, or was he man? Particle. Which was it? Well, the answer is given by Einstein. <laughs> Even be, without being a believer, as I don't think he was. Uh, he's, Einstein says, you can't understand light without having both of them. You have to have them both, just like with Jesus. You can't understand Jesus without knowing that he was both God and man. He was, he was both. Okay? Now, uh, So, uh, I'll give, I'll give you, uh, a, a, this is the next to last <laughs> transparency. I'll give an example of, a, so it depends on the experiment. What's relevant for a physicist? Let's see, should I use the wave theory or should I use the, the, uh, the particle theory? Well, an example where the particle theory is relevant is in photoelectric effect. So I'll tell you what it is. I'm not a physicist, but I know enough to <laughs> get through this slide. Uh, you have, uh, imagine light coming here, a, a photon. See, as, as Jesus came down, you know, came down and approaches us, here we are. This is a sheet of, me of uh, metal, metal surface. And in it you have all of these little atoms, you know, and electrons and so on here. So this photon comes down, and it's got, uh, it, it has enough energy in it. If it has, this is the physics now, if it has enough frequency, enough energy in it, then when it strikes the surface, what does it do? It gives up all its energy. It gives it up. And it frees what had been a bound electron. So this little electron comes skipping out here. It's freed. Okay. Now, physicists even use the, that, the word bound. They say these are bound electrons. We were bound in our sins until the photon of Jesus came down and gave up all his energy at Calvary 
to free us. Okay? So, uh, there's these different points of view, and, and, and I'm just going to back up. I didn't know if I'd have time. But light is, uh, is, is so prevalent in, in Judaism, even for non-believers, Judaism is all about light. I won't get into what I mean by that, but so I looked it up on the web. I said, let's see, what is, it, what did, what is uh, they believe about light in Judaism? So here's an article from the Jerusalem Post by Rabbi Adin Steinsaltz. And he says, the primary utterance of creation is let there be light. That's the primary utterance of, of the whole creation is light. Uh, from what was light created? Well, God cloaked himself in a white shawl, the light of its splendor shone from one end of the world to the other. Fundamentally, light does not belong to this world. Rather, it's an emanation of a different essence from the other side of reality. Light serves as the symbol of good, the beautiful, all that is positive, so prevalent in biblical Hebrew that redemption, truth, justice, peace, and even life itself shine. My wife's name is Myers, and that means brightens or shines, and she brightens or shines. So, you see, uh, he's talking about Jesus, and he doesn't know it. There's no indication that, he was, that he's a believer. Uh, the Jewish people are so close and so far at the same time. So, anyhow, that's, that is the... And I'll go to the... Uh, whoops. Uh, at the the last slide, I just put up a bunch of whoops, a bunch. I don't know if you probably can't see them. So let's just cl- close, and I just uh, want to thank the Lord, thank you all for coming and your attention at this relatively early hour, and I thank the Lord uh, and ask Him to bless you all in everything. Thank you, Todd. If, if there are questions. Uh, can we ask you like maybe one or two questions? Or three or four, whatever you just, like. Just one or two. <laughs> Is that okay? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I was hoping. For... How did you come to faith? I'm sorry? How did you come to faith? How did I come to faith? <laughs> the one who brightens and shines brought me. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I was not a believer. She was. And I'll just tell you very quickly. Uh, um, I was observing her as a friend. I, things didn't look, it looked strange in her life because everything seemed to work out when the odds were against them. Uh, but she didn't talk much about God. But she was a believer. So I was helping her one day move. Uh, it was in winter, cold, and she was moving into a, uh, a new house, and she had a lot of heavy cartons. So I said, I'll come over, I'll help you move the cartons. So we were on the second floor moving cartons, and we finished moving the cartons in one of the rooms. And I turned the light on, and she said, oh, you shouldn't have done that. Because the house was on one circuit, and, uh, and there was a short. And so when she clicked the light a couple of weeks before that, 
oh, same thing happened. All of the electricity went out. Now she didn't have enough oil in the tank, so that when it started, when she got turned, fixed the fuse and got there's only one circuit in the whole house. When she got it fixed, the uh, motor for the uh, heater didn't come, uh, didn't start pumping because there wasn't enough oil in, in it. And at that moment, she didn't have enough money to be getting an oil fill up, and she had to spend fifty dollars for somebody to come and, and get the thing going. And she wanted to spend fifty dollars again. <laughs> so I said, "Well, you could pray about it." <laughs> ha ha ha! <laughs> we'll test the Lord with this one. So we're walking downstairs with a flashlight, and she she prayed about it, but it may, might have been like a sentence like, "Please." keep it running or something like that. It was nothing like Baruch HaTorah and all, you know, all of what I heard growing up in synagogue. And so we get downstairs and everything is black. The whole house, everything is out. And downstairs, the only thing that's working is the electric motor for the, for the uh, uh, heating system. So, like, what do you do? See, that's, that's not a coincidence. You can't say that's a coincidence like finding a parking space. <laughs> uh, but what do you do? I didn't fall down and worship the Lord. Uh, she just did many miracles, and people didn't fall down and, and, and worship him either. Uh, but I started asking questions, and then, and then soon after that, I, I invited the Lord into my life, and I told her about it, that I invited the Lord into my life. And so she said, well, now that you've given your life to the Lord, and I thought, What? I didn't know I went that far. <laughs> I mean, I wanted to have some, some space of my own. You know? <laughs> so that was the beginning. And I just thank her again. Thank you, Doctor.